terrible likeness, really. What a fine friend you've turned out to be. What the hell? <laughs> hell. What a fortunate word to choose. Who's the bounty now? And who's the hunter? Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come In 81 Kilo. A Forever Night podcast. Welcome back, friends. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode, a season two, episode 24, The Code. So close. The Code. The end of season I know. two. Two episodes. We have A More Permanent Hell and Blood Money, and then season two in the bag. I'm going to take that as not a sigh of long suffering, (laughs) but a sigh of nostalgia for a sigh of grief ahead of time for yet another season. Yet another season. Only one more to go. And then no more forever night. One more real season to go. Yes. And then no more forever night until they reboot it, which they definitely should. (laughs) That's a soapbox for another time. Oh, getting situated here. How you doing, Matthew? How you I'm feeling? Doing. How you feeling drawing up to the end of season two here? How you, how are you feeling about Forever Night? Without being forced, would you ever watch any of these episodes again? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Lie. <laughs> Lie. <laughs> if, if, if they were on, I wouldn't run away. Okay. You might pause and be like, oh, okay, this is that part. <laughs> that was a good <laughs> part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fair. I'll take that. You know what? I'll take that. Because um, there's only one show I've ever seen you watch more than once. Ever. And we don't talk about it. <laughs> we don't talk about the shows. <laughs> it's a secret. <laughs> All right, well, on that note. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking at, like, daring me to say what it is. I'm waiting for episode opens with. And I'm waiting you for. A murder. And I'm waiting for you to drink out of that clinky-ass glass. There you go. It's the ambiance. Is it? To... It's the ASMR yeah. that we specialize here Absolutely. at uh, Strange and Beautiful Network. Yeah. Okay. Well, appropriately, we start this episode out with cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we make a lot of cocaine jokes because we do a lot of 90s stuff. 
and uh, a lot of people yeah, in the 90s were big. doing 90s yeah. stuff, and that 90s stuff was cocaine, although it turns out this is actually cocaine-heroin mix. She's doing speed balls. Wow. Yeah, which we find out later. But this is Gwen Madison, who we name in passing, and she was an actress, a runway a model. model. Yeah. yeah, and she's doing lines of cocaine. Well, Skanky is battling with his recalcitrant vehicle. Oh, Skanky. He's like, come on, baby. I'll get you a new paint job. I'll get you a new Lou job. You like that? You like that? I'll get that for you. Oh, he's trying to get it to turn over. Poor Skanky. Is is this what Skanky sounds like with Myra? Come on, baby. I'll get you a new paint job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know what? Like Natalie said, Skanky may not be a prince, but at least he cares. Yep. Yeah. So he ends up getting out of his car to try to flag people down for help. And the first car just like drives by and he's like, I got your license plate, buddy. And then the next lady's coming or car is coming and he's trying to get it to stop and it won't stop. And he's like, oh, God, she doesn't see me. And then it ends up uh, rear ending his car. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, you mother. (laughs) <laughs> Superior? Because <laughs> it's a nun. <laughs> I think uh, everyone Playing should know. with fire. I think everyone should know at this point. Uh, John Kapalos wrote this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Woo. The All mother right. superior? And then he goes, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I hate winter. And while this is all happening, of course, Quinn Madison is overdosing on cocaine and falling through her own table and dying. And then we cut to the intro. We got we two of, deaths. Yeah, we kind of intersperse those those two things. Yeah. Because, you know, as as Skanky's car is breaking down, so is Gwen Madison. Yeah, we, we see the untimely death of two things. Two things. And... and uh, a runway model and Skanky's poor this old sedan. brings to mind the idea, the thought. In Close Call, when they're wrapping up the alleyway, they're walking to Nick's car and Skanky says something about like, come on, man, like I'll drive you home and then I'll, I'll get a ride or whatever. But Nick says, Skanky, your car's in the shop. I thought your car was in the shop. Oh, yeah, I'll take your car for the day. Don't worry, I'll even get it washed. And then we get a clip from the code in Close Call. I wonder if the code is intended to air before, like immediately before Close Call. Yeah. Because Close Call and the code, if you flip them, it makes more sense. Skanky's car is in the shop. And the clip of the episode that hadn't happened yet isn't an episode that hadn't happened yet. Unprecedented. Plus, <laughs> uh, plus continuity. Skanky would have just seen Nick fly through a window to save his life, which is what happens at the end of the code. So it would absolutely have made sense. Skanky is off balance. He is yeah. in a crisis. He's... It's not like finding out that his buddy, A, worked for a megalomaniac uh, healthcare company intent on allowing their own mistakes to be swept under the rug in order to cover up the fact that they delivered a contaminated batch. Yeah. 
And then his best buddy tried to kill him. And then his cop partner flew through the fucking window and saved him. It's not like that all magically healed him and now he's fine. And hey, he bought some cross-country skis. That's basically therapy. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> so it would make more sense. They, they act better as a duet. It would make sense that he's off kilter in close call. Yeah. So I'm just going to say if you're rewatching season two... You know, if you're a fan and you rewatch it as many times as I do, next time, flip them. I think they'll work a lot better. Put the code and then close call. I think it almost gives narrative shape to the season <gasps> if you do it that way. <laughs> a story arc? Yeah. But back to the actual episode. Skanky walks in after the intro and Cohen like looks at him and then taps her watch. Um, can we address the fact that Cohen is a bit of a bitch to Skanky? Well, yeah. Like, a lot, a lot. Like, she is uh, actively mean to Skanky or uh, just ignores his existence entirely. There's been several episodes where Skanky is trying to talk to her and Skanky has a very good point that he's trying to get across and she shushes him so that Nick can talk. And then in this episode, did he make his own car break down so that he would be late? Get the fuck off of it. It's not like this doesn't happen to anyone ever. It's not like this has happened to him before. She has absolutely no right to be angry at him because of equipment failure. That's what she said. Turn <laughs> <laughs> up a serious conversation uh, here. Okay, so my take on that is... It feels like that's just a plot device for adding some friction to the show dynamic to mirror what the like corporate culture was like at the time. It is, but it feels unfair. So it was unfair. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but there were a lot of viewers who would have been experiencing that same kind of unfair the discrimination uh sexual even harassment? more than just discrimination just mm -hmm. like bullying yeah from their managers like rampant across the entire western look hemisphere at the shit that nick gets away with right because he's the hot one right but it, it may have been like a here's a way for us to have a character resonate with our audience mm. By it, yeah. manufacturing the same kind of, you know, semi-hostile work environment that our viewers are, are like our male viewers are experiencing. It adds to Skanky's every manness. Absolutely. His appeal to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's fair because Nick is like, ooh, Cohen's mad at you. And he's like, yeah, and Lucky Lindy just landed in Paris. Tell me the news. Like, it's not <laughs> fucking news. And they have to go because there's a homicide. Nick is like, well, you're late, but it's cool. There's a homicide. We got to go. Night job. And he's like, well, take my car. Like, we don't, that's not rote. Like, they don't always just take Nick's car. And he's like, oh, man. Okay. So they take Nick's car. <laughs> so we get the line where he's like, Oh, it's so cold in here. Nick's like, it'll warm up. It'll warm up. And he's like, eight centuries in this thing wouldn't heat up. <laughs> How do you survive in the cold without a working car heater? It works. It works. Just give it a little time. Eight centuries in this thing wouldn't heat up. Oh, I tell you. 
<laughs> That's a burn, especially after we just had close call where yeah. he's like, eight centuries, Nick. And this wouldn't heat up. Not that I'm Somebody's saying. Somebody's paying attention. Not that I'm saying you're 800 years old or anything. Actually, Nick wouldn't be 800 until 2028. 800 as a vampire. 800 as a vampire. Correct. Yeah. Yes. He might be 800 since he was born. Yes. In 2000. Correct. But he's not 800 here. Oh, we get an actual timestamp, but it's but not right now. The, the egg cell that he grew from okay. would have been wow. from up to like 20, okay. 30 years before that. Wow. Thank you. So- Are we including that? Is that, it's like Korean age? <laughs> you're, bo- you're born at one. Okay. All right. <laughs> the the egg cell that mm-hmm. each human was made no, from yeah, has mm-hmm. existed. Oh, God. For- <laughs> I can't believe I'm humoring Since you right their now. their mother was born. Okay. Well, there, anyway. So there, there, no, there is no, a rationalization yes. for how Nick is uh-huh. 800 yes. at this moment. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. All right. So they get to the crime <laughs> that's, scene. That's, that's what I do here, right? <laughs> that's what I do. I'm just doing my <laughs> you, duty. You added me on uh, Chartable. Yes. Right? So I had to sign in and I put in name, password, and Did it have a role? O- occupation optional. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent a little while <laughs> thinking about what should my occupation be on oh, the podcast. I thought it was optional. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I don't remember what I put. That's but. perfectly fine. Chartable is like a a more detailed way of tracking our analytics than our current host Platform. currently yeah. does. I mean, it's not something that I like occupies my thoughts, how many people are actually listening to this podcast, but I harbor this secret fear that we're super popular and we have no idea. And I know that doesn't and sound we like just a don't fear, have but it's a fear. Data. And I just don't have enough data to know that. But I don't know how to phrase that. We're just going to leave that right there. So Nick and Nat, uh, I don't know. Did you know this? Nick and Nat Packers was what you were called if you wanted Nick and Natalie to be together. Uh, you've you've explained that. Did yeah, we ever have? Did we ever have a rundown of the factions? Uh, you told me you were like an immortal, immortal beloved. Beloved, yeah, yeah, get it right. Okay. Um, and that's when you want Natalie. No, God damn it, no, Natalie out. Bye, Natalie. You want Jeanette. Nick and Jeanette to be together. And if you are a Nick and Nat Packer, you wanted Nick and Nat to be together. And if you were an uncle, you were just a fan of Lacroix, a cousin. You were yeah. a cousin because he was uncle. Okay. I don't remember why he was uncle. Don't question these. Because calling him daddy just sounds awkward. Well, at the time, daddy wasn't like. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't have the baggage that it does now. Would you call it baggage? Rachel's pulling up her old Forever Night website. No, I. So you've been posting some of your old Forever Night fan fiction on the Patreon. I have posted one entire story so far, yes. Have you shared the URL for the archived version of your old Forever Night website? Why would I do that? For the fans. Join the Patreon and you get access to this kind of special... Yes, okay, so cousins were fans of LaCroix because he was referred to as uncle. 
There's a lot of very like not like nuanced ones like friends of Don and friends of like Grace and stuff like the the kind of minor characters. But there were Nighties who was just the big fan of Nick Knight. The B-R-I-C-K's, the Bricks, who were fans of Nick. Uh, There were the Dark Nighties who wanted Nick to just fuck humanity. Let's just revel in what we already are. What about the Silk Nighties? (laughs) The fuck (laughs) sheeties? Oh, you wait. And then there's the Light Nighties who were all about the, the quest for humanity. Uh, they're the Twilight Nighties who just wanted him to like find the middle path. Like you're, you're kind of coping pretty fine right now without hurting anybody. Like, is humanity the thing that you need to go for, or can you just kind of walk the middle road here? Then of course the Nat Pack, who were fans of Nat. I'm trying to find the ones that were specifically about like the different uh, couplings that they wanted because there was one, the oh, okay. unnamed faction. That's the one I remember. The unnamed faction wanted LaCroix and Nick to just be together. Like, be together. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Ah. I saw a clip of an interview with um, Sean Astin. And apparently he was kind of a fan of the Sam Frodo fan fiction. I mean, go for it. I read a really interesting thing about why does fan fiction so often feature two male characters who are not of the uh, male interest persuasion being together? Mm -hmm. Like two canonically straight characters uh, hooking up. Why is that? And they were saying that usually it's because traditionally male characters are far 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 more developed and nuanced and they have more interesting character traits and there's usually more male characters in general so of course you want the male characters to be together they are actual characters whereas Mm. a lot of the female characters are like the woman in the signal where she was literally so superfluous, she was literally unconscious for the vast majority of the movie. So for the for the characters that are canonically straight, yeah, maybe they're just deeply, deeply closeted, closeted. Well, according to, to the point that they would never admit it explicitly. Well, according to the vast majority of fan fiction writers, you would be correct, sir. <laughs> so here's some couples factions. Factions. I'm going to skip over the ones that include characters we have not been introduced to yet. So everyone out there who's like, you missed this one. There's that's why I missed that one. So there is the Dark Trinity, which is a fan of why doesn't Lucien, Jeanette, and Nick just all get together? Why Who choose? says they haven't? <laughs> I mean, I think we could just probably weave that there. I'm <laughs> just gonna we're just gonna put that right. There. And then there's the Faithfuls who think that uh, LaCroix and Fleur should have been together. And fucking yes, of course they should have been together. Holy fuck. You know what? When it's mutual. We did. At least give it a chance. We recorded that whole episode. And then I edited that episode. And then I re-listened to that episode. Because sometimes I do that just to make sure that everything kind of flows after I've edited everything. And it made me angry about it. 
all over again. I was just like, you know, my my least favorite part of that episode is, I'm sorry, we're just going to go, you know what, you guys are here for a reason. You're welcome. We're going to go on a bit of a tangent. The one thing that we didn't talk about that bothers me to no end is the line that Nick gets where he says, since I can't do it anymore, the future of our family falls to you. To Fleur. Like, I chose to be an immortal fuckboy, and that means you have to live a short, pitiful life and pick up the slack and pop out some kids, hopefully a male. Thanks, Fleur. Get on that shit, Nick. That is not okay. That is not okay. You chose this life where you get to be immortal. You get to do whatever you want. You get to be fucking free. Your sister has the opportunity to do the same thing. And you're like, you can't. I already did. I did it first. Fucking what? I, you know, and it reminded me of there's a character. And I don't know if this is a spoiler for Anne Rice's vampire series or not. But in the vampire Lestat. The vampire Lestat turns his mother into a vampire because he loves his mommy. And he's like, why do you want mommy to be with you forever? And so he turns her into a vampire and his mom is like, oh, yes. And the first thing she tries to do is cut her hair because she has really long hair. And it doesn't work because in Anne Rice's world, vampires don't get to change. Change at all. At all. If you cut your hair, it grows back. Whatever. So she tries to cut her hair and it grows back and she's like, the fucking what? And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. That's like a thing. You can't change ever again. And she's like, God damn it. Oh, well, that's fine. And then she's like, well, you know what? I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to peace the fuck out. You have a great life. I hope I never see you again. You whiny ass brat. I kind of hate you a little bit. And he's like, mom. (laughs) She's like, "Uh -uh, I ain't your mom anymore, bitch. And she ends up leaving. Because she is finally free. He doesn't need her. No one needs her. There is no more societal obligation that she is required to fulfill. And she just leaves. And she doesn't just leave. She goes on a huge adventure. She ends up over in North America while it's still largely unsettled. She explores the world. And he's like, well, where do you sleep at night? Where do you get nice clothes? (laughs) She's like, fuck clothes. And I sleep in the ground. Who cares? And she ends up becoming this actually very interesting character, which I wish had had her own book. Where she's this completely liberated woman. And maybe what Nick was afraid of, the purity that... uh, Jeanette or the purity that he was afraid she would lose was just her shackles of societal like impulses. How do you deal with an a, a woman with a with rights? Oh god, Lacroix, what are you thinking? Sorry. I just I got in my feels about that episode a little bit because it still makes me mad. I think Lacroix would have been perfectly fine. With a liberated flair. Oh, yeah. Okay. There was a quote I heard. It was either, I think it was Richard Dawkins, but it was, sex is the cruel joke that the genes play on the individual, where the 
the adaptive like survival of the genes has developed this whole sex thing yeah as a motivational force for reproduction for reproduction yeah and it has shaped the way our our minds work okay. because of the biology the biology and we end up with this compulsion to kind of encourage reproduction uh that gets kind of incorporated and like twisted into the culture so one of the things that i guess that i think about with all the vampire stuff that we talk about and all the cognitive science stuff i've read and listened to is from the like modern cognitive science perspective where our consciousness is like embodied like in it's embedded in our body yeah and that drives a lot of the constraints of having to live in a body drive a lot of the motivations like thirst and hunger and exercise and all that um, for the things that we think, oh, this is something I just want to do, but it's a constraint, a need of the body. And that kind of shapes the patterns of thought in the mind and generates, you know, like traditions in the society. Yeah. But if you have a character, an instance of mind mm -hmm. that goes through a transformation where their body has completely different constraints and needs, they still have all of, they're still carrying along all these patterns of thought and habits and traditions that no longer serve them. So when you were talking about Nick deciding to become a vampire a fuck boy the immortal fuck boy yeah and his sister is the only genetic heir of the family and because he has abdicated his role in potentially continuing the family line he has thrust this responsibility upon her correct He's still tied up in the you know, societal norms that the family line has to continue. Yes. And so the, the joke of sex and the family line and the traditions have carried over into the vampire life, vampire existence, mm -hmm. even though he, he doesn't have to live by those anymore. No. They are maladaptive patterns. For him now. Correct. But he's still perpetuating them. Yes. And that's not good. No. Because we need, we need to grow out of that. He's putting that on blur. Right. And that's really wildly fucking unfair. And I'm not over it. And I'm never going to be over it. So we're just going to roll back to my list of factions, which we abandoned several minutes ago. And then we're going to continue with the episode. That sound like a good plan to you? So just for some context, mm. as we were getting the kids ready for bed, Rachel says, we need to do some shots no, before we go down and we record. we don't need to tell people that. <laughs> I think they no, can tell. No, 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 no. No, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. If you think we do this podcast sober every single time, go with it. That's fine. You know what? We're sober... I would say uh, 80. 80%. Yeah. yeah. We're 
not drunk right now. One shot of gin does not undo me. Matt sips his well, old-fashioned. how many gin drinks have you had today? This is my second one right here. Okay. All right, listen. I'm going to finish listing out these. Would you <laughs> shut up? Okay. So there's Immortal Beloveds, whoop, whoop, which we've already mentioned, which is, of course, one of my factions, along with Dark Nighty. So, you know, I think we could all have figured that one out by now. There's the Immortal Seducers, which thought Lucien and Jeanette should be together. Hmm. Meh. Yeah. I mean, it, it's okay. Uh, there's one here that says this is a minor faction. I can't tell you about it yet because we haven't met that character, but I just think it's really funny that they made a point to mention, yeah, nobody's in this. Nobody's in this. It's fine. It's fine. Skipping through all the spoilers. I might be skipping through some spoilers. Yeah. There's the Nick and Nat Pack. There's the dark Nick and Nat Pack, which was like, just fucking turn her into a vampire and let's roll with this. The Unholy Alliance, which we mentioned, which was Nick. Oh, the Unholy Trinity, which is Nick, Jeanette, and LaCroix. And then there's the Unholy Alliance, which was pretty sure Nick, Natalie, and Jeanette should all get together. Um, I think that would be all right. I don't see Jeanette sharing with Natalie. Then there was the unnamed faction, which got a lot of action. They actually had like a shortened version to UF, and then sometimes things were just UFers. I'm a UFer, or this is UF-ish. I remember seeing that in um, fan fiction, and it didn't take very long to figure out what that meant and then be like, I go for that or avoid that, depending on how you were feeling. <laughs> There was a sort of parody faction called the Unsuited, which thought that LaCroix and Skanky should be together. What <laughs> <laughs> I think is funny is there is no faction that was like, oh, yeah, Nick and Skanky. <laughs> I got that right when you were drinking. Yes. <laughs> No one was like, oh, yeah. The, Everyone's the, like. The Sam and Frodo version. Yeah. Of Nick Knight. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So. Has, has it ever been established that any of the main actors from the show were aware of these factions? Well, we know canonically there is actual evidence like anecdotal and photographic evidence that at one point Nick auctioned off the silk pajamas off of his own body. Okay. This I you've mentioned to yeah. me. So I find it hard to believe that a man that was fully willing to auction off his own pajamas while he was wearing them was not also aware of the vast fan community around the property that they were they, they were working on. I'm just Do imagining they know everything? Garrett get logging on to AOL. I love that you henpacked that. Like you, you, <laughs> you, uh, we Matt all know was, he what? We all know he henpacks. <laughs> Matt was pretending to type and he's he's definitely henpecking. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just imagining Garrett pulling yeah. up AOL on you his You know, I was thinking his, of, uh, I don't know. Gateway home PC. I don't know, because you know what? When Babylon 5 was airing, which, of course, we're eventually going to do Babylon 5, but when Babylon 5 was airing, um, J. Michael Straczynski was super active in the forums, and he actually, um, there's an anecdote about a fan that wrote in that the the um, animation of the station spinning at the very beginning was spinning at the incorrect rate to create the right force of gravity, and so they adjusted the animation to make it more accurate. 
So I know there is a non-zero chance that they perhaps did not engage, but were aware of, but I'm really fine either way. Like I'm totally cool. I have a feeling probably every single one of these actors has legit forgot they were in the show. <laughs> um, except for when fans remind them and they're like, oh God, you guys are still on about that? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I know this happens in a corporate perspective. Because I've had a job where not like a direct manager, but a like director that I have talked to, part of their job was to kind of keep up with Reddit. Okay. The Reddit, um, the subreddits for yeah. whatever like they were actually involved in in the company, just to kind of get a heads up when the- Let's just say that somebody knew. Okay, we'll just, we'll just somebody somebody new, and we'll yeah. leave it at that. So we go back to the episode. Do we need a recap of the recap so we know where we are in oh, the wait. episode? Oh, are we talking about an episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skanky's car died. A lady died. Uh, Skanky was late to work. They drove off in Nick's car. That's where we are. So they finally get to the crime scene, and Nick walks in, and he's like, "Natalie, you're stunning." I mean, fair. This looks really good on her. She's wearing like a blue velvet suit and her hair looks really nice. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, thanks. And he goes, were you at a party or something? Like, were you dating somebody, Natalie? He's just, you know, feeling yeah, that out. Yeah, he's just feeling that out. Because they had a great night together, which she does not remember, which was also not a great night and involved LaCroix and she almost died, but she doesn't know that. And she says, um, 300 dull corners at a corners convention uh, is not a party. Depends on your definition of party. It's not Natalie's definition of party because she just said that. Um, she doesn't know what her definition of party is because she doesn't remember that night. Yeah. Whatever that was, that's what she's looking for. But she doesn't know what that was. And that's this, this wasn't it. And in fact, Skanky walks in and he's like, Natalie, did you change your hair? And Nick goes, the suit. Skanky's a suit. <laughs> she's like, oh, yeah, it looks really nice. And then they're walking around and they like pull open her bedside drawer and it's full of a bunch of prescription medication and um, like Tylenol. It's Provotrex, but it's Tylenol. It's like a common pain pill or whatever. Right. And Skanky gets a crack about, what is this? The corner drugstore? Yep, yep, yep. Wow. What is this? The corner drugstore? What some people won't do to numb reality. Or the pain. Oh, aren't you cold? I don't think so. Oh, okay, Skanky, thanks. Okay, John. And I like I liked <laughs> Like this line, because Skanky is cold this whole episode. It's like a running gag. And he looks over at Nick, and he's like, aren't you cold? And Nick goes, I don't think so. Right? <laughs> Nick! <laughs> Listen, this is why it makes sense to swap these episodes, because otherwise, perhaps Nick would know he needs to make a fucking effort, Okay. Show up today, Nick. Can you show up for work today, you think? Keep that mask on. Yes, I'm cold. No, I'm not cold. It's not that hard of a job. You don't have to say, hmm, you know what, actually, Skanky? I don't think so because my body doesn't feel extreme temperatures. <laughs> Maybe it's something to do with the fact that I only have one heartbeat every 10 minutes. 
Or maybe it's my bovine blood. I don't know, because I'm like 98% cow. (laughs) (laughs) But they find a Narcotics Anonymous, an NA sponsor card for an Irene, because this woman was a Narcotics Anonymous, and her sponsor was Irene. And then we go back to the precinct, and then we meet the, the real gem of this whole episode, which is... Delahunty. Delahunty. Yes, because Skanky is pouring himself coffee, and we hear, what six-foot hunk of burning Irish love can kick your keister any day? And Skanky's like, Delahunty? He goes, D? Delahunty? And he turns around, and of course, this guy's right there, and they hug, they like dude embrace, and he's like, oh, man, you look like a million bucks. And Delahunty replies, yes, U.S. and after taxes. Well, congratulations. Thank you for breaking Good. that down. Yeah. Yep. And he ends up bringing Skanky Suvlaki, which he hands him this very obviously empty bag. He's like, here you go, man. He like holds it sideways and it does not deform at all. It just holds right. its shape. And Skanky's like, oh, smell that garlic. It's an Artie's special. And he's like, Nick, you want some? And Nick's like, oh, cool. I'm on a liquid diet. <laughs> I really like that line. Fucking show up to work, Nick. Like you got- <laughs> That's the first time that he's actually like given Skanky some information about his actual consumption. Yeah. He's like, no, no, I only eat liquids, red I'm, liquids, I'm on a liquid cow blood. Diet. I only eat cow. I'm a vampire, Skanky. I'm a vampire. And this is when Cohen comes out and she's like, hello, Patrick. And he's like, Amanda. <laughs> and Skanky's like, the fuck just happened? <laughs> we, we found someone who's hotter than Nick. Apparently. Because Cohen is like, mm. You know what? Cohen governs from a particular part of her anatomy, and it is not her brain sometimes because she could be nicer to Skanky. Skanky works really hard. Nick does not work hard, Cohen. He does not. This reminded me of, I was having a conversation with somebody about it the other day, but I couldn't remember what it was called. What's the thing where because you're good looking, you get thought you're better? The halo effect. The halo effect. Thank you. The halo effect is a cognitive bias where people who are conventionally attractive get better treatment across the board. Oh, Nick. You mean Nick? Yeah. Nick? Yeah. Okay. So this actually became super evident when we went into I'm lockdown. I'm extremely familiar with the Halo effect. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> this actually became super evident when we went into lockdown and everybody went home and you were actually getting judged on the work you were doing? Oh, yes. And not yes, how you looked? Yes, there was like groundbreaking psychology research being done during COVID lockdown where peop- they were able to quantify like on a like very broad scale, like a- across a you know, broad width of the workforce, how much people benefited from the halo effect. Yeah. Just because they were attractive and they worked in an office where people had to work face to face. Right. And so all of a sudden, all these people that had been pushed to their highest level of attractiveness were exposed as not actually knowing what they were doing. And all of these people that were actually doing a good job, but maybe were not as attractive as them, got recognized for the good job they were doing. Um, it also includes like verbal fluency and, yeah, you know, 
just charisma. Your presentation. Yeah. Your overall your, presentation. Yeah. And just to rub in how unfair Cohen is, Delahanty goes, I taught this man everything he knows. Talking about Skanky. And Cohen replies, a dubious distinction. Oof. Cohen, do you know what this man has done? Do you know the fiction this man composes? <laughs> do you know the magic? On a magic, weekly basis. The fucking this magic this man works with a report? <laughs> no one else in this entire station can make up the shit this man makes up. And you swallow it wholesale and then this you look him in the face. Suvlaki consuming machine. He, yeah. This man turns Suvlaki into this <laughs> craftily fine spun narrative <laughs> yes. that yes. hides all of the weird shit. Look, the silk that Nick gets up to. The yarn this man spins could be used as silk for the fuck sheets that Nick buys. Okay? <laughs> it is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> you look at him and go a dubious distinction. Fuck right off with that. You have no idea how hard he works to cover up the shit that Nick gets into. And this is when they're like, "Nick, you want to eat?" He's like, "No eat." <laughs> No eat. No eat. No eat. (laughs) Because I'm on a liquid diet. And Skanky's like, yeah, this man taught me everything I knew, which means this is ding, 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 third partner for Skanky. Because we had the guy who got killed in Hunters. Yep. Hunted. How many years was he with that guy? I don't remember the exact number. (laughs) We're not going to get into that right now. But we got the guy who got killed on the street because they shafted that dude at the academy and he took it out by killing everybody. And then we have the fellow who shot himself in the fix because he was working with the mob and he tried to get out. We never really cleared that up. He's the one who drew a pirate patch on himself in the picture, in the bowling picture. Okay. Yep. And then we've got this guy. So as of right now, uh, Natalie stands at two family members and Skanky stands at three partners. This is like, uh, I, I heard a, an anecdote from a college professor <laughs> that as soon as the school like semester starts, yeah, the uh, grandmother mortality just oh, jumps shoots way up. up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently Delahanty left Skanky to go work in Montreal. And so Skanky's like, how's Montreal? And he's like, I don't know. Fine, I guess. I'm not there anymore. I'm in Arizona. And Nick goes, oh, Phoenix? And he goes, no, Scottsdale. It's so much better. <laughs> okay. And then we get the... I've only ever passed through Arizona via the Phoenix airport. Okay. I've been in the Phoenix I don't know like what Scottsdale is like. It doesn't matter. Because what do we get immediately? What do we get immediately, Matt? I don't know. What do we get? A cowboy flashback. <laughs> oh, the flashback. Yes. <laughs> the cowboy flashback. Cowboy Nick. With like the long duster coat and the hat and the fucking horse, which just disappears. We never <laughs> see the horse again. <laughs> and I, I appreciate 
Garant avoiding any sense of cultural appropriation by maintaining the exact same accent. <laughs> He's like, as his modern Toronto accent. Listen, you think there were no Canadian cowboys? Mm, come on. Mm, keep, mm, 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 mm. There are at least two. There are at least two. And they're both in this flashback. <laughs> Three of them, because Lacroix's in it too. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, so, cowboy well, Nick. Okay. Would you classify Lacroix as Canadian? He tries to have a Canadian accent and mostly succeeds. But at this point in the chronology, has Nick moved to Canada at this point? I don't think so. No, you mean Cowboy Nick? Yeah. We don't know where this falls like so, time-wise. But no, he's not in Canada at this point. And so if... Nick has not Nick's moved from to... lots of different places. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I said when we were watching this. The guy, the the other, the other Canadian cowboy. Yeah, where are you from? Oh, no, there's the third cowboy, the guy that gets shot. Yeah. Uh, I didn't pick up a Canadian accent on him. We get like one line. Right. He, yeah. He may have been able to mask it appropriately. Right. But at this point in time, if Nick has not moved to Canada, then the Quah would not have started affecting a Canadian accent. I guess. You know what? This is, I don't so, know. So don't know. we're, Lacroix doesn't we, count as a Canadian cowboy We don't solve here. this. We don't solve this. It's fine. Just just embrace Cowboy Nicholas in the manner in which he is given to us, which is roughshod and unpolished, okay? <laughs> the so, most convincing, like, cowboy lines that we ever get in this show are from Skanky. That that is accurate because we don't at least we don't try to be like howdy partner or anything in the cowboy. Oh, only Skanky does that. Thank 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 God for small miracles, yeah. because he walks up to this fire with his horse and he's like, uh, hello, uh, hello, and Nick, who we have established, can sense people from like a hundred paces with right? his night vision, with his just general sense of whateverness. Uh, it misses not one but two mortals because this guy pops out and he's like, he holds a gun at Nick and then another guy shoots that guy. And Nick's like, well, you appear to have killed a man. And he's like, that man didn't have your well-being in mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut back because Delahanty's still talking. And Delahanty's like, yeah, friendliest folks on earth live in Scottsdale. <laughs> That's what triggered the flashback. Yeah, Scott triggered the flashback. Apparently, this happened in Arizona. Love you, honey. We're fifty-two minutes in. <laughs> we got this, <laughs> and we're finally getting to the meat. Because he's talking to his friend Delahanty, and he's like, "Yeah, no, I left there. I'm in Scottsdale now. I'm a PI." And Skanky's like, "Oh, gumshoe, huh?" And he goes, "Yeah, I do a little divorce, little wayward sponsor, little wayward spouses, and a lot of golf." And Skanky's like, oh, that sounds real good. <laughs> he gives them this look like, oh, golf, warmth, the easy life. And Delahanty's like, you know, I'll just hang out with you guys for a night if that's cool with you. Is that okay, Amanda? She's like, whatever, Patrick. <laughs> God. Cohen, pretend, okay? And Nick is like, um, really? Like, that's okay. Are you guys okay with this? And Skanky goes, D is a cop like Elvis is dead. He says that when they're in the morgue because they immediately take him to the morgue. And Natalie's like, Wait, is um, this 
Is this like cool? And this then, seems like yeah. some kind of protocol. Well, Natalie's issue. just worried that he's going to be grossed out by the dead body. She's not worried about protocol at all. And this one's Genki's like, she can handle a dead body. He's killed like thousands of people. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when we find out when the mob that the model, of course, the lady from the very beginning, has mercury in her system. She definitely OD'd, but there's mercury in her system. And Nick is like, oh, that's weird. And Natalie's like, yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little weird that they're not like, maybe that was in the drugs. Right? It's like she's taking, mm, yeah, she's snorting cocaine and heroin mixed. Or as Natalie says, it was like she was rolling in the stuff. Right. And they don't think, oh. That got in the cut somewhere. It got, they cut in mercury somewhere. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't they, matter. Like add weight or whatever. I don't know. It's cool. They forget about it, too, actually, as we'll find out pretty soon. But Delahanty and Skanky are arguing later. Like, they're out. Apparently, they go together. Like, they're on this ride along together for a while. Because we're eating again. They're at, like, a hot dog stand. And Delahanty and Skanky are arguing over who will pay for their food. They're like, no, no, no. I got it. I got it. I got it. And they're each Wait, trying to pull I their... I think this just happened to us. Um, This was every time we had to pay for food when we were in Canada. <laughs> 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 it was who it was, was going to be us versus Meg. Who's going to pay for the, the food? Is that, <laughs> we love you, Meg. A, we really do love you. I mean, the, but this is actually like a really objectively sad scene because Skanky and Delahanty have a relationship that Nick does not have with Skanky. Right at this point, and they've Skank, been traveling and Nick together. Is kind of feeling it. He's he's not feeling it until Natalie points it out. He's not consciously aware of it. Yes, because he's just sitting over in his car while they chum around and fight and have fun and act like they have a type of emotional intimacy that he's never capable of achieving. Way to rub that in his face, Kinky. And so he's sitting there and he's actually listening to LaCroix. Get that out of there. What are you doing? you want a couple of sodas? No, no, no. Yeah, let's have Tonight your night caller is ruminating on friendship. Get your money out. I say a friend for life is a leech. Someone who bleeds you. There is no real or lasting friendship, and no one is to be trusted. Who will challenge me on this? Who does not believe that all friendships must sour slowly, imperceptibly, come in under la cloche? And that in the end, it's not the big lie that turns us into mortal enemies, but the little white lies that drive the wedges between us, poison our loyalty and blight our trust. You don't agree? Let's discuss it then. Friends. Oh, yeah. They're bickering at the hot dog stand, and Nick is in the car listening to the, the Nightcrawler. Night because the closest thing that Nick has to this relationship is LaCroix. As fucking fucked up as his LaCroix relationship is, that is the closest thing that he has. I would say the closest relationship that Nick has to that is with Skanky, but Skanky is busy with a deeper relationship 
Well, look at all the different parts that make up a true intimate partnership, whether it's a true intimate partnership as a friendship or it's a true intimate partnership in terms of a romantic partnership, which is honesty, the ability to be completely open with each other about everything that is happening in your life, and time, the time it takes to develop that amount of emotional, physical, and like spiritual intimacy, that complete openness with another person. Nick never has the time or the ability to be that open with any mortal. Even if he's around Skanky for 10 years, it's 10 years and done. He's got to go. At most, maybe 15 to 20 years. As long as it takes for everyone else to recognize that he's not aging. He simply does not have the time to establish that amount of intimacy with any mortal ever. And he can also never be completely open with anyone. Not even Natalie. Natalie knows the facts of what he is, but he doesn't have any way of conveying to her the ins and outs of what it is to be a vampire. She simply cannot have the understanding required to fully understand him. Even like, I can know you're a dude. I'm never going to know exactly what it's like to be a man. Right. That's a slightly different example because we're both human at least, but... The only person with whom Nick shares both a physical experience, like the the fact that he is a vampire, the time it takes to establish emotional intimacy, and the ability to maintain that in perpetuity is LaCroix. And Jeanette. And Jeanette, but Jeanette is I also... I would say Jeanette is the closest thing he has to a long-term, like, deep relationship, but... but it's a romantic relationship. It's not and the they, same. they have very different worldviews. They do, and it's not the same. I have a relationship with you that I do not have with my friends. Right. I can have the same level of intimacy with a friend, but it's going to be a different kind of intimacy. Right. And in some ways, there is more that I can tell a friend than I can tell you because. Because I'm emotionally reactive and all the shut down if you criticize me. <laughs> not just that. <laughs> not just that. But there's more stakes to a romantic relationship. Yeah. I not only rely on you for emotional and physical intimacy, but um, our lives are completely intertwined. I have to be, I can't risk losing you. I have to have a level of caution with you that I don't have to have with a friend. Right. Not that I can insult a friend or like it's not, it's okay if I lose the friend, but there's a different type of intimacy that you have in friendship than you have in like a romantic relationship. And so Nick has a intimate romantic relationship with Jeanette to a certain extent, to the extent that they're together. And then the only, literally the only other person with whom he can, he can, even establish a facsimile of this type of relationship, of the Delahanty skanky relationship, is LaCroix. Right. And look at fucking LaCroix. Like, <laughs> <laughs> LaCroix's not exactly a healthy uh, role model or like partner in. Do I think LaCroix in, is in trying? I think LaCroix, LaCroix is trying. Does right, LaCroix know his... how? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> his no. sensibilities have been so mutated away from 
the lived experience of a human. He's too inhuman. Yeah. He's too far removed yeah. from day-to-day humanity. Right. For Nick to like get anything out of a relationship with Nick LaCroix. needed a brother. <laughs> he needed a little brother. <laughs> LaCroix, get on that. Anyway, so while he's sitting in this car, listening to the one person with whom he has D- any hope of having emotional try? intimacy. Did who try? Like to to get a little brother for Nick? Do, are we talking about Daniel? The kid? The kid? In the Victorian England? Child, <laughs> the actual child? The little brother. That Nick thought of as like his son and tried to save and they lured him back and turned him into a vampire and then fucking forgot about him and we never saw him again. That one? That one. Yeah, that one. That actor just died this year who played Daniel. Uh, and he died under mysterious, like he died of a mysterious death. He just sort of died. Nigel. And he was only like 43. <laughs> he was only like 43. It's really sad. But Nick is sitting in the car and he looks at the card. Oh, where yeah. Irene, back to the episode. Stay on target. Stay on target. Okay. So he looks at the card for Narcotics Anonymous, which is Irene. And he's like, I don't know. Maybe it's time to talk to, maybe it's time to talk to that part, that person. But in the meantime, LaCroix is talking. And I just want to point out that LaCroix is still not okay. <laughs> he is still <laughs> not okay. He's like, a lifelong friend is just a leech. It's a lie. It's a lie. Everyone is using you. (laughs) And in the end, it's not the big lies that tear us apart. It's the weight of all of the little white lies that come between us. LaCroix is not okay. Okay? Has anyone checked in? Has anyone checked in with LaCroix? Hey, LaCroix. Therapy? works therapy works better help not our sponsor could be our sponsor just letting you know but it's affordable go for it man oh and then the radio is playing and actually this is a really interesting transition because we go from the radio playing in the car with nick to a radio playing on like a nightstand and we actually just slightly change the sound quality as if lacroix voice is coming out of that radio Instead of Nick's radio. And as it pans across the bed, we find out we have another body. Womp womp. But Skinky and Delahanty are, uh, they're chumming. You know, this is, this is maybe good for Skanky. I don't know. There's a body. We're going to go check out the body, but meh, Skanky's having a great time. (laughs) And this is when they are like joking with each other right by the body and like goofing off with each other. Well, 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 where have I seen this before? Uh, there was some in the bathroom. I guess he was taking it for arthritis. Okay, I was really hooked. You know, we found the same stuff in an OD earlier this evening. Why don't we snag a lift off a uniform, jump this over the lab, we'll do some more catching up, okay? Got it. It's okay, I'll finish up. And Natalie's like, what's up? What's up with that? And Nick is like, oh, that's his buddy. Like they're have it's good for him. He's he's kind of having a rough time. It's good for him to be with his he, friend. He's been having a rough patch lately. You know, it's good for him. It's good for him. And Natalie's like, but is it good for you, Nick? 
This is the most autistic that Nick ever is. <laughs> I mean, he has his moments, but this episode, the... The vampire as autism analogy. The checked out, the like, okay, these two people are clearly really good friends. I have no fucking idea how to fit in that dynamic. None. I have, I have no script for that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit in my car and I'm going to be happy for them. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to participate in this relationship. Or, oh, they're on the other side of the bed, like chumming around and tickling and goofing off and stuff. Again, no script. I have no idea how to insert myself into this relationship. I don't even know if I should. I don't even know if it's appropriate for me to talk to them when they're doing this. I have literally no idea how to get, I, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to stand over here. And then Natalie comes over and just takes his face and fucking shoves his face right in it and rubs it around. She's like, oh, oh but is isn't it, this bothering you? Is this not bothering you, Nick? And Nick's like. Well, it wasn't until now, Natalie. Thanks so much. I was successfully deluding myself that yeah. I didn't care about this whole thing that's happening. Well, it's not that you delude yourself that you don't care. You care deeply about the fact that you can't, you don't know what to do. But you just have to make peace with the idea that it's better to do nothing than to like work, try to work your way in there and just totally fuck it up. With very complex systems. We don't know enough to know how to interfere. Correct. That's exactly what's happening. And so in response to this, he just disassociates. He goes into a flashback. <laughs> and this is when he has buried this uh, this random stranger in a rock grave. And it like pans along the rock grave. And then it pans up. And Nick is just like... Strike a pose. <laughs> this, like, this is like, runs okay, Garrett. Okay, Garrett. We're going to give you like five shots. What does a cowboy look like? Do, can, and he just runs his fingers and, along the edge of the And I, I can just hat. imagine John Kapalos there being like, well, howdy, partner. <laughs> and Nick is like, all right, strike a pose. Br like run my fingers along the yeah. brim of my hat. Yeah. There you go. Like, oh, that's beautiful. Okay, Garrett. Mm, like go go the, take a break. The portrait of a broody cowboy, <laughs> honestly. And then his friend walks over with a cross. Not friend, but it's like he just been cowboy. doing manual labor and he just put his hat back on, straightened up his outfit, and then like adjusted the tilt of his hat. So and wait. that was when the camera came in. So they buried this guy in rocks, right? Did Nick bury this guy in rocks? I have to wonder. At a certain point, do you forget how heavy things actually are? And so when you Absolutely. have to, so when you have to pretend that they're heavy again, was he carrying these tiny little rocks like or was he carrying these like 400 pound like granite rocks? Like, oh, this is mildly inconvenient that I have to carry this thing. <laughs> and the guy's like, what? No, clearly he doesn't because he doesn't suspect anything's amiss. But he brings, the, he brings the cross over to put in this guy's grave. <laughs> and Nick like turns and, away. Yeah, Nick is like, the cross. And he like turns sideways and steps back. And this guy's like, oh, you know, I've, I haven't had many occasions to bury a man. And Okay, and so he, he kind of steps behind the guy so that the guy is between nick and the cross correct how does 
the negative, I don't know, energy, whatever, from the cross affect the vampire? Is it a, like, does it radiate out, like, in a sphere from the object, (laughs) and then this guy generates a shadow? Yes. Or does, like, Nick have to be looking at it, and is it the recognition of the cross in Nick's like psyche in his consciousness that causes the pain. What if Nick had been born Jewish? We don't cover that in Forever Night. That's what I'm saying. This is not something we can unpack. You don't ascribe any additional meaning here. I think it. What well, is okay? Hold on. Oh God. Okay. We, we we can get into this. Yeah. All yeah. right. Oh. All right. Oh, oh, I believe we can. Yes, I have ev- every faith in our ability to do this. Does yes. the does the damaging energy? radiating from the object come from the belief of the vampire observer or from the human bystander that holds the belief that this symbol is representative of their religious beliefs. Okay, so... We have the Joan of Arc episode where after she leaves, he attempts to touch the cross and his hand bursts into flames. We also have the episode where I think it's killer instinct. He is able to pick up two pieces of wood, form a cross with them, and it burns him and repels the Okay. In both of those instances, Nick is present. Nick clearly has a deep amount of... Fear slash faith, he believes the cross repels him. Right. Does he count? If he counts, then yes, it could fully be the amount of belief that the person holding the object or witnessing the object instills in the object and that that creates the repulsion. So if if there's like a Muslim vampire. Yes. And a Christian human. Let's say there's a Christian human. Yeah. And a Christian vampire and a like a Christian raised vampire and a Muslim raised vampire. Would the Muslim raised vampire be less affected by the cross? So since there's only two, like only the human observer and the Christian vampire observer view this as a like religious power. Let's go Dresden rules here. So Dresden okay. files, like his pentagram has power because he gives it power. Right. He actually channels energy into so it deliberately. So thing has as much power as you give it. So Nick clearly gives a lot of power to a cross. So it's possible that Lacroix would not be as affected by the cross as Nick is because Nick does Nick imbues the cross with a lot more power and authority than Lacroix does. But that doesn't mean the cross does not affect Lacroix because we know Lacroix is affected by crosses. He's affected by the cross when Nick just takes two pieces of wood and makes it. But, but the, that's the energy Nick, that Nick imbues into Nick it putting, also gets radiated to Lacroix. Correct. That's Nick putting that power in the cross, so if harming you, himself if you and had Lacroix. somebody Jewish holding the cross and then a Buddhist vampire, would the cross have 
almost zero effect? It would depend on whether they would be able to instill it with belief simply because it was an object of faith or if they required their own personal object of faith. It kind yeah. of reminds me of the scene in The Mummy where he pulls out the cross. <laughs> oh, yeah. He has the he has the like pile of necklaces where it's a whole bunch of different religious symbols. Correct. Yes. It's as much as you put in it, and it just depends on what you as a person can put into any object of faith. Are you capable of believing that this cross can repel the vampire? Then you can. So it is not necessarily the object it's human faith there's actually a book series called the gray friar series mm -hmm. and it's like a steampunk vampire novel series and there's three of them in it and it's by clay and susan griffiths and that's the premise for them is it's literally anything that has been given devotion that's all that's required okay. in order to repel a vampire the physical representation of the object is immaterial. It is the belief that is put into the thing. A crystal, a cross, a star of David, all of it, fine. It's the belief. And the fact that these a objects... Tree. Yes, and the fact that if these... If you had a okay. colony of druids no, in a forest... Dear Jesus. <laughs> Save me from that, <laughs> that worshipped trees yes. as a symbol yes would the entire forest repel vampires depends on the amount of their belief i suppose would it get diluted Do across they... the entire forest or no would because... it get instilled in a particular instance of now, tree i think what might happen say we have vampire a vampire a uh, approaches this divine forest we shall call it okay there is no devotee of the divine forest present it's just simply the vampire so no no one has informed the it, vampire it's only the energy that's come from Wait. the the devotees that okay. have passed through the area let, let me finish okay. so this vampire has no knowledge of the fact that these trees are divine amplifiers i don't think they would affect the vampire i think that the person would have to be present to imbue that tree with their their belief or their faith or their devotion or whatever and that the that would work until the vampire now believes that any tree So is... it's quantum physics rules. Yeah. Everyone okay. has to be a little bit complicit, okay? The fact that a, the cross affects cr that the cross affects Nick no matter whether someone is there or not is because Nick himself is capable of imbuing that with his right. own belief. LaCroix doesn't give a shit. I'm not sure it's that... It's like pissing into the wind. I'm not sure... An, that's... Okay. I'm not sure that an unattended cross would affect LaCroix. Right. Like, LaCroix could probably walk into a church. We don't talk about it. But if there's nobody there telling... If there's nobody there but charging up the battery, so to speak... Jupiter? Can we... Please. We've discussed... We just talked about it. We had... Divine forest, I think we'll just go with the divine forest law, okay? If the vampire does not know that that's a divine tree, it's not going to repel it. Unless there is someone there, unless there is a human there using that as an amplifier for their own internal, like, faith repellent. Okay, so the druids would have to have, like, watchtowers throughout the forest. And they would have to have Keep a... They would have to have missionaries spreading the good word of the divine forest 
that told all of the local vampires about how bad the Divine Forest was for them. Kind of like in, there's a book series called <laughs> Saints and Shadows by Christopher Golden. And the only reason crosses repel them is because they, they believe they repel them. If they don't believe they repel them, they don't repel them. They also don't burst into flames in the sunlight if they don't believe they burst into flames in the sunlight. It's a whole thing. So can we go back to the episode, please? Oh, yeah. We're talking about an episode. All right. So. All right. They Let's pull do out, this. They pull out the. <laughs> this might not be our most focused episode, but it's been our most entertaining for me to talk about with you because I love you, honey, no matter how ridiculous you think you're being. I love you, too. <laughs> so, I even left you a secret message when you went to take a bathroom break. <laughs> no. Oh, God. So they pull out. This guy is dead on the bed. Can we get back to the guy who's dead on the sure. bed? Okay. You know what? We are as distracted as skanky is this entire episode. Because they pull more Provatrex out of the side table. And Skanky's like, whoa, look at this. This guy also owns Tylenol. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking everybody. Yet another person in this city takes ibuprofen? Somebody takes over-the-counter medication. (laughs) What the hell is this? This is a crazy coincidence. We need to make a note of this on the report. Would Skanky have thought of this if Delahanty wasn't there with him going, oh, more Provatrex? Huh. Uh, I think the episode description gives this uh, as a spoiler. Yeah, it's a bit of a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. That Delahanty is here to prime Skanky Skanky to see the Provatrex as an odd coincidence right because skanky immediately bottles it and then he's like come on buddy let's get a ride to forensics we don't even need to check in with nick and oh nick i know they're like i know they get a car and they're like we're gonna get a car we'll just hitch a ride we'll go drop this yeah we'll hitch a ride with one of the uniforms yeah we're best buddies and and they walk off they're they're all wearing gloves yeah they're leather gloves instead of like crime scene gloves but they're gloves and he puts it in an evidence bag and seals the evidence bag. Yeah, but they Wow. Leave. This guy is like reminding Skanky of what actual police procedure looks like. Well, he did teach him everything he knew. That's true. Yeah. So they leave. They're just like, ha ha ha. They like link arms and skip off into the daisies. And Nick turns around and he's like, it's okay. I'll finish up. And this is when they they go back to the precinct. And Nick is kind of talking about like, oh, you know, this guy died of this. She died of that or whatever. And Skanky's like, do you really think their deaths might be connected? Like, I think their deaths might be connected. They both had Provotrex. And Nick is literally like, um, everybody buys Tylenol. I don't Tylenol. think that's a thing. He's like, everybody buys Tylenol. Haven't you seen... All the memes on Instagram about welcome to your 30s. I hope you like ibuprofen. No, they haven't because Instagram doesn't Oh, that's exist. right. Yeah, yeah. And this is when Delahanty's standing there watching Skanky and Nick kind of have their back and forth. And Cohen walks up and she's like, are you guys trying to tell me that this is connected? Like, what's happening here? And Nick is like, yeah, I think they're connected. Or he says, I don't think. They disagree. Skanky's like, I think so. I don't think so. It was exactly what, and Cohen is like, 
Listen, if this is going to be another one of your dick measuring contests, can you take this outside? We all know who's going to win a yeah. dick measuring contest. Do we? <laughs> can we not? <laughs> But unfortunately, Skanky, ahead. Skanky has been allowing Delahanty to pour some poison in thine ear oh, about Hamlet. Nick because Skanky is not being his usual like, okay, Nick, fine, go ahead. Tell me what you think. He's just like, fucking again. You never side with me. You never believe me. And Delahanty's like, you know what? Actually, this is my cue. I'm going to dip out. I have introduced enough conflict yeah. into your dynamic. It's time for me to just... I need to leave now. Right. Before I have to take sides or actually be engaged personally in this, I'm going to leave. And Skanky's like, oh, come on, man. We were having like so much fun. And Delahanty's like, like uh, I don't work the night shift. It's like Theoden and Wormtongue. It's a little bit like that. Yeah. Because Delahanty's like... I don't work the night shift anymore, and I promised myself I never would again, so I'm going to go get some shut-eye. But why don't you come meet me for breakfast? So afterwards, after this all wraps up, I can just make sure I drive that wedge a little bit farther between you and Nick. And so Skanky leaves because he's like, okay, fine, whatever. I'm going to go. I'll be right back. And Delahanty sticks around just enough time to have a long, long, long long rub it in your face talk with Nick about how much better he knows Skanky than Nick does. This scene is 45 fucking minutes long. He has the longest exposition dump I have ever heard in this show. And this show is full of exposition dumps because he's like, let me fucking bullet point this friendship for you. We grew Fetch up. Fetch my vis-a-vis. -vis. <laughs> He's like, here we go. We grew up together. Isn't that funny, Nick? There's nobody you can grow up together with, Nick. Huh? Because you don't grow up. You're never going to have that kind of connection with Skanky. Because you can't. You're physically incapable of having that kind of connection with him. We used to run off together and go camping. You can't go camping. Because you can't wake up during the day. Isn't that nice, Nick? You can't have that kind of connection with him. And then we got attacked by dogs. What the rub, fuck? Rub, rub, rub. What the fuck? We got attacked by dogs? What the shit? <laughs> he just drops it in there. He's like, one time we got attacked by this pack of rabid dogs. <laughs> and we beat him off with a stick. <laughs> He's just like, what is happening? We beat them off. It, it <laughs> and then after... Is Oh, is this a beach off? <laughs> I'll beat you off. I'll beat you off. So they they turned the dogs, let's say that. And then he's like, and after that, we were dogs. And dogs go to the end for each other. <laughs> we were kids. We used to ride our bikes out past Richmond Hill to my uncle's place, camp out overnight. This one night, we were attacked, you know, by a pack of dogs. We fought them off tooth and nail. And after that, we called ourselves dogs. He's mine, and I'm his. We even have our own code. Dogs go to the end for each other. See, that's what brought me back, Nick. My friend needs me. God damn, this takes so long to get out. And he's like, you know, the other, like, a couple months ago, 
I called to check in on Skanky and I talked to Myra. And Myra, you know, she said there was something wrong, but like, I could feel it because like we're bros and stuff. And then like I talked to him. Because we're dogs together. And, and I knew my dog dog had something wrong with him. And so like I came here and I don't know what he needs yet, but I'm going to figure it out. But I know my friend is suffering. Oh, God, Delahanty. By the time you're done with it, you're just like, oh, I really hope you're the bad guy because I want you to be gone at the end of this. I got chased by a pack of dogs once. (laughs) (laughs) I just just yelled really loud and growly at them. We're dogs together! We go to the end together! And they were like, oh God, no! And they ran away. (laughs) It was on one of my long runs through the countryside. Oh, back before you worked a desk job and you sat for 12 hours a day? Yeah, back when I used to run like a lot. And yeah, it was like two dogs tried to chase me, yeah, and I just well, yelled really loudly at them, and they you ran should have away. beaten them up with a bro, and then come up with a slogan, and then been best bros forever. This was a missed opportunity, and I'm ashamed. I didn't, for I didn't you. have a bro at the time. Listen, Nick is so over this conversation; he also disassociates and heads back into a flashback. He's like, "Man, is this guy still talking?" And then it just like he just he's like, you know. I used to be a cowboy. <laughs> oh, I wonder if. I'm not leaving that in. <laughs> I am not leaving that in. So Nick, <laughs> Nick is like, <laughs> Nick's like, yeah, okay, you were dogs, whatever. But were you a fucking cowboy? Did you have a price on your head? Did oh, you you're get- dogs. I'm a wolf. I'm a fucking wolf. Exactly. So he remembers that time he was a cowboy. And he's hanging out with his new best friend, who he had like two words. He buried a man with, and now they're sitting by this guy's fire. And he pulls out like a some liquor, and he tosses it to Nick, and he's like, let's drink together. Like, we just... Bottle of whiskey. We had an emotional moment together. We should probably drink about it until we forget, like, dudes do. And Nick is like, oh, okay, I don't drink, though. And he's like, oh, man, I saved your life. You owe me. That's- Hold on. I just heard you're on a liquid diet. Wait, wait. He goes, I saved your life. You owe me. That's the code. At least one of them, I think. And so Nick takes a drink and he's like, well, that didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't shit. It's fine. And then this guy goes on this rant where he's like, I like the night. It's so dark. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of the sand rant that Anakin goes on where he's like, it's so I was about to say the same thing. Just like, oh god, okay. it's the opposite of Anakin Skywalker's sand rant. Yeah, he's like, yeah. you know, and during the day, you can see how big the world is and how alone you are, but at night, you don't just like, oh god, you just want somebody to come out of the shadows with a violin and start playing because this guy just goes on. I mean, this is yeah. two back to back scenes where you're like, wow, this is long. No shade on you, John. I know you wrote this episode, it's not a bad episode. It's just that these parts feel uh, disproportionately long. That's all I'm going to say about that. And this is when he's like, you got any family? And Nick's like, mm, I don't think so. Did I have a, si- did I have a no. sister or a brother? Blur, your 
something. I don't remember. I don't yeah, know. but they've been dead for hundreds of years. Yeah, he's like, I don't know. And the guy's like, it's cool. We don't have thoughts. We just have whiskey. <laughs> he's just like, here, <laughs> drink again. And then he's like, you ever kill a man? And Nick's like, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I killed you, a man. You could say that. I've killed a couple of men. In fact, if I'm approximately 700 by the end of this story, I have could have killed upwards of quarter of a million people. Assuming I feed at least once per night. Yeah. I think and, once per night is a little high, but let's continue. Yeah. And the guy's like, uh, you ever wonder if we're damned? You think, do you think that, that killing all those people is going to come back and haunt us? Do you, do you think we're damned? And Nick is like, uh, nah, I ain't got no beavers in me. What? <laughs> The word damned was bouncing around in my oh, head. God, I can't. <laughs> I'm damned because a beaver built a dam. No, no, me. thank you. Yes, thank you. No, I I got that. You know what? We're just gonna skip past the rest of what I was gonna talk about. I love it when you crack yourself up. That means it's a good episode. So we come back because Nick has, Nick, remember Nick is actually investigating. Oh, right. This is a TV show about a vampire Yeah, cop. that one. So Nick is actually investigating this while Skanky is just having a moment. He's having a moment of weakness here. And Nick goes and brings Irene in and they're ha they're interrogating Irene, he and Skanky. And Skanky is not on his best behavior. He is season one Skanky. Through and through. He's Nick Knight the movie. Skanky. Yeah, he's regressed all the way back to Rick Springfield. That's what he's done. Because uh, Nick is trying to be nice. And Skanky's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. What was she in now? Not Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, Speedballers Anonymous. Some sponsor, huh? And Skank Skanky's being such an asshole. She comments on it. She's like, you might want to brush your partner up in his interrogation technique. He's a bit of an asshole. And when they walk out, Nick is like, did you want to use a blunt instrument? Why didn't you just use a blunt instrument? You don't like the way I do my job, just say so. Listen, you squeezed her a little hard. She just lost a friend. Yeah, to drugs she might have supplied. Innocent Irene has a sheet. Possession for the purposes. It's an old rap, skank. She did her time. Gwen Madison was her friend. What's got into you anyway? Maybe some sense. Would you like to just go beat her over the head with a hammer? Would that make you feel good? I got a baseball bat in my trunk. Yeah. And Nick is like, uh, what, what the fuck is up, Skanky? And Skanky's like, what? You didn't like it? You didn't think I got results? And he's like, she just lost a friend. What has gotten into you? And Skanky's like, maybe what's gotten into me is some sense. Ooh. Yeah. But we find out from Irene that Gwen had some uh, nose reconstruction. She had a deviated had a septum yeah. to repair like her nose, her deviated septum. And Skanky's like, yeah, you know, it's a side effect of snorting a lot of cocaine. I mean, Skanky's just not Skanky. Like, he's not the... Our dude, bro. He's not our our buddy that we've been friends with for the last 24 episodes. 
Yeah. We aren't expecting this anymore. We had come to expect better. And I like that we don't lay all the blame at Delahanty's feet. Right. Like some of this Delahanty, but some two of this to is tango. just kinky. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of hard to be reminded, but he wasn't always a good dude. And maybe he's not that far from being a bad dude. Maybe Skanky. Maybe the Skanky that we've become familiar with is a sign of how hard he has been working to To make himself better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, in the end, I think we get back to that, but it's an interesting glimpse into like, he doesn't have to be a good guy. He's choosing to be a good guy, just like Nick is choosing to be a good guy. Maybe we're all choosing to be good people and that's okay. But Skanky goes from there to Dee's hotel room and he walks in and he's like, oh, swanky. This is a step up from Chinatown, right? Yeah. And then we get our giggle confession where they're talking about this. Very serious topic and the only way that emotionally repressed white men can talk about these things, which is by making it into a joke. Ooh, this ain't ginger ale. (laughs) Donnie, you look like hell. (laughs) I feel like hell. (laughs) You know, if I didn't know better, I'd say you were burning out. (laughs) Burning out with a bullet. (laughs) Ah, I took the liberty of ordering. Hope you don't mind. Because he's like, you're a little bit, a little bit burnt out, aren't you, Skanky? And Skanky's like, oh, oh yeah, I'm real burnt out. And he's like, yeah. So I, I, I want to say, in general, yeah, humor makes trauma more accessible. But the, there's, you know, there's a region of how humorous you make it. Versus how, like, helpful the humor is. Yeah, Skanky even makes a I'm close to giving up on my life comment because they're, right. like, laughing at each other. And he goes, yeah, <laughs> I'm burning out with a bullet. If Delahunty was a real friend, he would tell Skanky to go, like, talk to somebody about yeah. this for professional help. But he's not. He's taking advantage of him in this moment because he is so low. Right. He's using the fact that they were friends and his understanding of Skanky's temperament against him. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't actually think Skanky ever fully realizes that. But we're going to get to that in the end. Because this is just more Delahanty's bragging about how much better his job is. He's like, oh, yeah, our bonus was selling the job. Yeah. He's like, our bonus was two weeks in St. Martin. He's like the Caribbean. And he's like, yeah, where it was always warm. And he even puts in a little subtle. Yeah. So how was the rest of the night with your uh, (laughs) your partner? Howdy, partner. And Skanky's like, oh, you know, same old, same old. Nick being a possible supernatural creature of the night (laughs) and me just you know being skanky and then uh he gets a call from natalie and he's like man you have your phone delhanty's like you have your phone which is a really funny question to hear right now like yeah of course he's got his phone in his pocket all the time no like you just carried your phone when you were at work otherwise there was no imperative of connectivity right so he pulls out his phone and it's natalie and natalie's like listen 
there's more mercury poisoning, except it was fatal this time. Like this guy died from mercury poisoning. And I'm going to try Nick again, okay? And Skanky's like, okay, great. Thanks. And then he like works it through. He's like, okay, okay. What is it you used to tell me? I need to go back to the source. And he's like, what did they both have? Fucking Tylenol. I don't think Skanky would have made this this kind of connection if it were not for Delahanty, because this is such a popular drug, there's literally no reason to believe right. it's connected. If it was a prescription medication that very few people were on, sure. Although there are precedents for this. There were other instances where people took medication and that medication was tainted. The reason that bottles of medicine have a foil seal on the top yeah is because this happened this happened i think multiple times well it got one the guy i think was trying to kill his wife and so he replaced some and she bought it at the store and but other people bought it too right and i think anyway there's some instances but then we cut to the image of a drugstore which i'm sure is a shoppers now that i've been in canada i can 100 percent say this is a shoppers loblaws no, no, shoppers. And so this guy takes and sweeps all of the Provotrex into his bag and then start takes taking out other Provotrex bottles and starts putting them on the shelf. Uh-oh. Oh, no. They're staging the scene. And then we cut to Skanky, and Skanky is giving a press conference in the precinct. And there's this, like, five, five reporters yeah. gathered around him, and they're like... <laughs> Huge press conference. It's a huge, it's a huge fucking deal, okay? And Skanky's like, yeah, we're recalling all Provotrex again across Canada, regardless of lot number. Blah, blah, blah. Provotrex, Provotrex, Provotrex. But the most important part of this scene, and I think the part that everybody probably noticed and I just want to put out there, is the heart jacket that Natalie wears in season one is being worn by an extra in the background. What? I remember and I noticed because I fucking love that heart jacket. It's really cool. <laughs> and I would wear that heart jacket in a heartbeat. But you remember in season one, every once in a while, we'd get these Natalie got pulled out of bed and taken to the morgue scenes mm -hmm. where we really believed that Nick had disturbed her. Like she wasn't always at work. She actually had a life. And every once in a while, she got pulled out of that life. We just ditched that after a while and just made up like she sleeps in the cooler at the morgue. Mm -hmm. Well, she wears a heart jacket jacket in one of those episodes, and she that exact same heart jacket is being worn by an extra in the background of this scene. I wonder if Natalie gave it to one of the like staff at the police station. Do you want to go with that? And not that it was just in the costume closet for the episode, for the whole series? Oh, yeah. I mean, we rationalized everything. Okay. All right. Fine. That's yeah. fine. Somebody was probably like, that's a heart jacket. And she was like, you know what? I gave up my life long ago. You can have it now. So just handed it off. Yeah. But Nick Skanky is really on cloud nine at this moment because Skanky is getting what um, Rick Springfield Skanky wanted, which is to be the center of attention and the focus of all of this media attention. And so he's really kind of feeling it. And he comes over to talk to Nick and he's like, oh, yeah, the great Provotrex, the great Canada Provotrex scare of 95 solved by Donald and D. And that's Skanky. Make sure you spell it right. And Nick's like, I wouldn't go shopping for a network just yet because... He does not buy this. 
Nick is not taken in by this Delahanty bullshit, which is why Delahanty may have pivoted to Nick is our enemy, makes Genki see Nick is the enemy. And Nick yeah. walks off. I mean, this is a little bit rude. This is not blameless on Nick's part. He's not like, good job, Skanky, putting that together. Because, yeah, there was actually contaminated Provotrex out in the wild. Right. Skanky did actually save lives. Nick does not acknowledge that at all. He's just like, you didn't solve the same case I'm solving. You went off and did your own thing. I'm kind of not okay with it. And he leaves. And Skanky's like, how about good job, Skanky? How about congratulations, Skanky? That man has no respect for me, and I'm fucking over Skanky it. Skanky just wants a hug. Skanky just wanted a, you did a really good job. Maybe yeah. that didn't completely solve the problem, but that Words was a good step. Words of affirmation step. is yeah. Skanky's love language. Yeah. Skanky made an emotional bid, and Nick did not pick it up. So, what do you say, Nick? The great Provotrex scare of 1995, cracked by none other than Donald Skanky, please spell it correctly, with the help of his childhood friend and former colleague, Patrick Delahanty. Would make a great movie of the week, huh? Well, I wouldn't go shopping for a network yet. Spoiled sport. Good work or congratulations, I think, might have been appropriate. The guy has got zero respect for me, and I've had it. And that's the hallmark <clears throat> of a failing relationship. Just saying. And this is when Natalie kind of gets to be a little bit of a check partner for Nick because Nick is talking to her and she's like, are you jealous of Skanky? And he just gives her a look and she goes, I withdraw the question. <laughs> and she's like, you know, I'm sorry I asked you that question, but you should probably apologize. Like you were kind of a raging dick back there. You could have at least said like, you did good. I mean, he did do good. Did he do everything? No, but he did do good. You could have at least acknowledged that. And Nick is like, hmm. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he hears her. He's like, okay, that's a fair criticism. That's why I'm saying that Nick is at his most autistic in this episode. Cause yeah. he's like, justice is not being done. I am hyper focused on justice right now. And justice is not being done. He's not seeing like, Oh, I need to, I need to give and take a little bit in this relationship to help make sure that it stays healthy right now. Right. I actually need to participate like, yeah. reciprocally he, with he this doesn't even other see it. individual. He doesn't even see yeah. that Skanky needs that. He's just like, okay, Skanky, but you're wrong. And then he left. And yeah. then Natalie's like, okay, let me walk you through how that interaction felt to Skanky. Maybe you can understand if I explain it and then you'll know how to go back and repair that. And he's like, okay, heard. I'm going to go back and say, I'm sorry. I don't think you're right, but I'm sorry. And I should have said, you know, you did a good job. And then we kind of cut to Skanky and Skanky and Delahanty are having another like dick slapping moment. I don't know what you call it when you like cross streams, but don't cross streams. Like you're just being bros. Kate okay. uses okay. crossing so, streams for like being together sexually, but yes. Okay. There's, yeah. there's a dynamic with guys where... You're trying to top each other. Okay. Not like top bottom, but just be better. Uh, than. Um, yeah. Yeah. A, yeah. a topper is someone who in response to somebody talking about something that they're proud of that they did well, the topper comes in and says, oh, yeah, that thing you did, I did it better and I want you to acknowledge that. Right. Okay? And that's the toxic version of like – 
emotional sharing, connection. Sharing the things that you are proud of. Correct. But there's a positive version of that too, where two guys who are like actually like friends, like want the best for each other, like I want the best for the part of you that wants the best for you kind of thing. Yeah. Where it, from a third party perspective, it sounds exactly the same, but internally in each guy, if, if they're actually like bros, like real bros, Mm -hmm. those statements that sound like a topper are a like responsive emotional bid. Like, Hey, I did this thing and it worked out great and I'm really proud of it. And you broadcast that to the other person and the other person says, whoa, and I did this thing that worked out really well that I'm proud of. And it's more like a, like a virtuous, like, so the, there's a downward spiral. Yeah. Both of these are positive feedback loops. A downward spiral is the like movement downward precipitates more movement downward. Yeah. The opposite of that is called a virtuous circle. And that's where you're kind of spiraling upward, where positive movement or positive action encourages and instigates more positive movement and positive action. Yeah. So the positive version of the, you know, topper is two guys just sharing, like, here's my accomplishments for this week. Yeah. And they kind of congratulate each other by sharing their accomplishments for the week. Okay. And good backslap moment. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, yeah, well, I did this. It's yeah. that's awesome. I also did this. Gotcha. And you're kind of building this tower of like this participatory thing between you two. You're building each other up okay. and encouraging each other uh, to keep keep that kind of thing going. I think Delahanty is appealing to the part of Skanky that used to not give a shit. The the nihilistic, the season one, well, the season one Skanky, the Nick Knight Skanky, the I'm out for myself Skanky, and I'm not so concerned about being a good cop as I am about getting the publicity for being seen to be a good cop. Yeah. Because first he kind of talks about like, okay, here's this. PE teacher that we both had together and he both flunked us from PE because of course Skanky flunked PE and here's this like dude bro that used to be in our class and who we all envied oh and he died doing this and then here's this third lady this woman that you had like you objectified when you were in high school her name is Pamela Pimchuk And he's like, oh, my gosh, don't tell me she died, too. And he's like, oh, no, she's got eight kids. She's the size of a minivan. And she's married to a new age piano player. And Skanky's like. (laughs) Like, oh, that's even worse than dying. That's even worse than death. Yeah. Being the size of a minivan and having eight kids and not having a successful husband is worse than death. 
That's why I'm saying Delahanty is appealing to the part of Skanky we were all collectively happy to leave behind. Yeah, absolutely. This and is, this is a uh, regression. And once on he kind of part. unearths that that more carefree Skanky, that more selfish Skanky. He's like, how would you like to be a little bit more selfish? How would you like to just ditch this department, come with me, and you can, like, live in luxury? Right. The short-sighted, hedonistic Skanky. Yeah. And Skanky's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, let's fucking do that. Yeah, all this all this manipulation that you've been Working. activating this whole episode it's working. It's worked. I'm in. Yeah. And Nick actually comes back to apologize. And he's like uh, uh, trying to talk to Skanky and he can't quite get the words. And Skanky's right. like, like. Autistic Nick is like, Natalie explained to me that the way that I acted earlier <laughs> could have been perceived as offensive. And that's not what I meant to do. And once it was explained to me, I realized how hurtful what I said right. could have been to you. Yes. And I'm sorry for the hurtful words that I said. No, no, he doesn't I, say he's sorry. Well, I, I he, know, but the, he this does is not. Like, Skanky's like, let me save you from the trouble. Right. I accept your apology. Yes, yeah, Skanky preempts. Nick so he never actually, actually articulating what say. he's trying to get yeah, across. He never actually gets to say he's sorry. Skanky interjects and says, let me stop you there. I accept your apology. And Nick is like, okay, great. But I don't actually think you're right. I'm still not sure. I still think there's more to this case. And Skanky's like, there's not a case. It's done. It's solved. I have a letter right here on my desk where somebody actually wrote death threats. Like somebody sent death threats to the pharmaceutical company and he's now the most wanted man in America. Honestly, this is fucking finished. And then he takes his resignation letter and hands it into Cohen and immediately res resigns. Effective hands immediately. Effective immediately. Turns in his gun and his badge. And then we go to Natalie because we have another victim, but this victim didn't show up in like a, she didn't show up in a crime scene because she actually was at the hospital and she died in the hospital of acute mercury poisoning. And in this part, they make a mistake. Natalie says she died of acute mercury poisoning, just like Gwen Madison. And we made Ooh. a whole point at the very beginning of pointing out that Gwen Madison did not die of mercury poisoning. She died of an acute overdose. She, and she had, had mercury in she her She had system. mercury poisoning, but it that it was wasn't the cause of death. It was not fatal. Right. And this lady died of acute mercury poisoning just like, as Natalie says, Gwen Madison. Ooh. Oh. Come on, writers. Come on, John. <laughs> Run this. So nowadays, pretty much every TV show nowadays. has. Go ahead. It's lessons learned yeah. from these kinds of episodes. Right. You have a checker. Yeah. You yeah. have a consultant for your hard science-y stuff. 
Well, not just that, but like a consistency. This is just consistency. Right. And then we cut to Skanky and Skanky's emptying emptying out his desk. And I think this is really interesting because it's like a who's who of season two episodes because we get the fixed picture where the guy drew the pirate patch on himself. And we get the partners of the month plaque. And then we cut back to Natalie and we find out that Nick and Natalie are having a conversation. They're still working on this together, even though Skanky has largely checked out. And we find out that this woman had reconstructive surgery, too. So Gwen Madison had reconstructive surgery. This woman had reconstructive surgery, but the old man did not. But all three of them had Provotrex, but the most recent victim did not take the Provotrex. And so Skanky comes to the morgue to tell them he's resigning. He's gone. And Nick is like, well, no, 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 no. You can't leave. I can't break in another partner. Do you know how hard it is to find somebody (laughs) who just ignores every weird fucking thing that I do? And he tries to appeal to Skanky's sense of justice. He's like, this is not solved we have more facts here that just do not add up this woman just died of acute mercury poisoning but she never took provotrex and skanky's like she never took provotrex and nick is like yeah she didn't take it and he's like oh god you know what no 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 who cares he goes you guys are chasing rainbows and i'm out of oz i am done and then he goes so long natalie so long, Nick. It's been, uh, it's been strange. You know, you, you guys are chasing rainbows and I'm splitting from Oz. You're on your own. So long, Natalie. So long, Nick. It's, uh, it's been strange. <laughs> So Nick's objection to Skinky leaving, if you have not watched the Ali Wong specials on Netflix. Yes. I think there's multiple now. There's multiples. Do it. But she has a whole, I think she has multiple kind of spiels on breaking, like the... The reason she's still with her husband is because she doesn't want to break in a new guy. Yeah. Because she has her husband trained. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the Nick Sexually. vibe on yes. Skanky is. Yeah. I've got I've you got trained. I've got this worked out. I've got you trained. Like, <laughs> I can't have you leaving. You're doing for me what I need you to be doing for me. Yeah. And- it was a lot of work to get there. Dude, don't leave me. And he's kind of scratching the emotional intimacy itch for Nick because Skanky is very willing to connect with people right. in a way that not a lot of people are immediately willing to connect. And so Nick found somebody who can approximate a best human friend, a yeah. bro. And he can't have him go, what if he never gets a another bro? A hyung. A hyung, yeah. From Korean. What if he never gets so. another bro like this? What is he supposed to do? He needs to get him back. And it's so traumatizing that he <laughs> throws himself back into cowboy land. Oh, no! Where he is actually drunk. And the guy's like, 
where are you from? And Nick's like, oh, you know, lots of different places. <laughs> That's a Highlander you, reference. You should you should clip this out and clip in lots of different places. Lots of different places yeah. from Christopher Lambert. He's like, you know, lots of different places. And then the guy's like, okay, well, uh, I know exactly who you are. Because Where are you from, Nash? He's like, you want more because the bottle's empty. And he's like, how about an antidote chaser friend? And he pulls out his little <laughs> antidote. And he, like, pours it in his mouth. And then we kind of go back to that. Like, we zoom in on the fire. Uh, we haven't quite done the antidote yet. We do that in a minute. But, like, he zooms in on the fire. And then when we pull back from the fire, we're in the hotel room. And Skanky's talking to Dee, and he's like, man, I should have done this years ago. I'm so fucking glad. And he's like, great. Here's my creepy-ass associate who's just been lurking in the shadows this entire time. <laughs> this guy. His, his facial expression and the way he they did his makeup. I, the way they did his makeup, like stands out or does he just look like that maybe he just looks like this because they like they lined a bunch of extras up and they were like that dude looks evil let's bring that guy on you're here with us now he's bald yeah right he has like he has like the picard like bald yeah the the old man the monk patch yeah the monk patch but it's like the skin color and texture like from his eyebrows all the way to the crown of his head is all the same color and texture. And it looks like he's had plastic surgery or something. Or like he's had Botox injections all across his forehead, Do you across just think the top he went of his skull. Him. Do you think he went in and he was like, can you make me look more evil? I'm going for them evil roles. Blend this all together. <laughs> So that my fucking blend. So Will that my blend? like entire facial like skull structure looks uniform in a way <laughs> that is like if you, an alien was approximating so what a bald human looked like, it I want to look like that. <laughs> I want to be in the uncanny valley. <laughs> Why did you study this man so much? He's in two scenes. He's in two scenes, honey. He's in this one. I can't control the hyper focus, honey. <laughs> okay. He's in this one where he's like, here's my creepy associate, Tom Duke. <laughs> we knew a Tom we Duke. Know Tom, we know a Tom Duke, which just made this even better. Yeah. And then we cut back to Nick, and Natalie is like, I think this was a contaminated batch of marrow comp. Like, I think this was this reconstructive material called marrow comp, and I think. Toronto specifically got a batch that was contaminated with mercury. And I think that someone's pointing us in the wrong direction. And Nick is like, oh, the Probotrex. I fucking knew it. And then we go back to the hotel room and Skanky's just kicking around the room while Tom Duke is like creep creeper standing in the shadows by the window. Yeah, he's just over like, by the balcony, whatever. Just like heavy breathing, like... <sighs> Yeah, as as Skanky like, is I'm like not evil at all, guys. Flexing his intuition muscles. Right. I'm gonna just crack the, how, the combination. How fucking impressive is this? Because he's talking to him, and then he's like, "Whoa, briefcase!" He's just like in the middle of a sentence. He's like, "Oh, tasty briefcase!" And so he walks over, and he's like, "Rich Corinthian leather." You remember that one, Tom? And then he's like, 
50 bucks says I know the combination. He's like, okay, okay, okay. His birthday is the 10th of October, which is the 10th month the 10th month of the 10th year and in the 10th grade his locker was between between these two other lockers and his locker combination in the 10th grade was this skanky knew his friend's 10th grade locker combination i don't even know the date half the time and he knew his friend's 10th grade locker combination i had a conversation like this at work the other day about Linux shell startup process, whatever. And (laughs) 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 work friend was like, oh, I'm trying to get this stuff to like be automatically configured at startup and it's not working. And I'm like, you're looking in the wrong file. You're looking in the wrong Here's place. the startup procedure, and here's where you put your stuff, but it's in this file, which only gets included on interactive login shells, and you need to move it to this other file that always gets included. Anyway. That anyway. I can, I can sympathize. Some heavy lifting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then we cut back to Nick again, because Nick and Skanky are solving this all at the same time. And so... Nick is like, HMS Medical, the company that owns Merocomp, where is it located? And Natalie's like, Phoenix. Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, I thought it was Scottsdale. And Nick says, Scottsdale? And she goes, no, Phoenix. And she goes, is there a difference? And he goes, yeah, Scottsdale's much better. And then we go to another flashback. And this is when he pulls out this really awful wanted poster, which has like... You know what? Everybody looks okay. Oh, that's right. But Jeanette looks terrible, okay? It's like she was so pretty they couldn't look at her long enough, so they just approximated a woman. She's safe, y'all. She's fine. No one's identifying her from this wanted poster ever, 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 Mm -mm. ever, ever. And this guy's like, oh, man, you're my payday. You're my score. I'm so excited. And, of course, this is when LaCroix shows up. And it's like Cowboy LaCroix shows up. And this guy's like, what the hell? And Nick goes, or not Nick, sorry, because Nick is unconscious at this point. But LaCroix goes, hell, what a good word to use. And then he's like, who is the bounty now? And who is the hunted? Ooh. Terrible likeness, really. What a fine friend you've turned out to be. What the hell? Hell. What a fortunate word to choose. Who's the bounty now? And who's the hunter? And then we get... The reveal, because Skanky has opened this briefcase and it is full of Provotrex. And this is when we finally get to see who Delahanty really is, because Skanky's like, what's all this in your briefcase there, D? And Delahanty's like, I trust you, Donnie. You know that. And Donnie's like, you killed those people. You killed those people. And Delahanty's like, yeah, but they were dead already. They had, like, the poison was already in them. They were going to die. I didn't kill them. They were already dead. 
by that logic, we are all eventually going to die. So you could kill us at any point and that would be okay. And he's like, it's great stuff, Don. It could save thousands of people. And Skanky goes, yeah, minus two. Yeah. Yeah. And this is when... Skanky don't compromise. Yeah. And this is when Skanky's like, you're fucking perks? Two two weeks in the Caribbean for what? One per person? The fuck, man? You're killing people. Like, you're letting... You are not who I thought you were. And Skanky cannot handle a dishonest bro. Nope. He does not like it when his friends sold out, brother. Right. You can omit to Skanky and he will understand, but you cannot outright lie to Skanky. And Skanky's not about to murder for gain, but you have to be, um, you got to give Skanky credit in this moment because he reads the room like super fast because almost immediately uh, Tom pulls a gun on him and he's like, you trust him, D? You trust him, Delahanty? And Delahanty's like, yeah, man, we're dogs. We go to the end for each other. <laughs> this is when Skanky pulls out his um his everyman persona. He's like, oh, <laughs> I'm just fucking with you guys. Yeah, I think it's great you're murdering people and stuff. <laughs> yeah, we should probably have some champagne about it. And he gets them. They believe him. Because he pulls on his little, he gets his little, his little smile and it works. And as soon as Delahanty turns around to leave, Skanky picks up a chair and wallops Tom Duke with the chair. Right. He totally charms him. He's like, oh He's yeah, like, oh, I'm, man. T- I'm totally cool with all this. We're bros. You. I'm it's just, fine. yeah, I'm just trying to rile you up to yeah. get a feel for you. Right. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. And as soon as he, as soon as they turn around, whack. <laughs> yeah, he whacks him with the with the chair, and it actually causes Tom to shoot Delahanty. And luckily, this entire time, Nick has been en route to Delahanty's hotel room because his friend Patrick Delahanty pulls a gun on Skanky, intending to kill Skanky. Because Dom, Tom Duke is already incapacitated. Nick isn't in the room yet. The only two people in the room right now are Delahanty and Skanky. And Delahanty pulls a gun. And Nick bursts through the window from the from the balcony. From the balcony. And grabs Delahanty's gun. And he doesn't actually tell Skanky about his gun. And I don't think Skanky sees it. Because yeah. Skanky is momentarily incapacitated. So Nick lets Skanky continue to believe that Delahanty would have never hurt him. Yeah. And I think that's um, that's his way of apologizing for how poorly he handled all. I mean, for the fact that he didn't believe Skanky. Because there's no point in Skanky believing that Delahanty was bad. There, that doesn't gain anything. It doesn't. It doesn't further right. any goals. If Delahanty had survived, then it would have been beneficial for Skanky to know that he was going to shoot. Yeah, Skanky. he's a slime ball. But with a like mortal wounded Delahanty, um, it would only be like extra trauma that wouldn't. Yeah, it doesn't benefit, benefit anybody. Him later, yeah. It wouldn't prevent Skanky from making the same kind of bad decision in the future. Right. Because 
It would only the, cause the, harm. The bad decision was only tied up with all of the history that he had with Delahandy. Right. And the other interesting part of this section is that he does not question the fact that Nick broke the window from the balcony and came From in the outside. From the outside. He somehow had enough momentum, force, to break the window from the, like, 18-inch deep balcony. Correct. He's like, well, I'm not going to question that. I already told him it was strange. It's the power of friendship it's that the broke power the window. Of friendship. So this is Skanky's third partner down, which means he has officially eclipsed Natalie in family body count. And as Delahanty is laying there dying, Skanky goes over and holds him. And of course, we repeat the stupid dog line. We're dogs. We go to the end for each other. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks at Nick and he's like, friends, huh, Nick? Who needs them? And Nick's like, um, I just saved your life, Skanky. Skanky, I just saved your life. I think, I think you needed me. I don't know. Maybe I think you needed me. And then we cut to the flashback for the very last wrap up. And this is the part where the guy's dead. Nick wakes up and LaCroix sitting there. And he's like, uh, oh, fucking LaCroix. You <laughs> <laughs> oh, LaCroix. LaCroix's like, yeah, this was Karari. And if you think Karari didn't get a lot of use in fan fiction, think again, son. He's oh, like, really? Yeah. He's like, this is Karari. It intoxicates our kind, but it does not kill us. It's not a poison to us. Um, and of course, I'm always going to know where to find you, silly boy. That's our code. One of them, anyway. <laughs> And this is when we get our close call clip, the clip from Coast Close Call, where he's like, Nick, do you ever get like fed up with one life? Because Skanky's coming into the precinct and he's taking off his his scarf and Nick is there. And Nick is kind of like present, present in a way that invites conversation, which I think is what he's going for. And Skanky says, have you ever gotten so fed up of one life? You just wanted to start another. And Nick is like, yeah, I've been there, man. Oh, yeah. Been there, done that. Done that. <laughs> Back in business, I guess. Let's get you back. I'm glad you're asking. Nick, I don't know what to say. I've been a real ass. Call it temporary insanity, huh? You know how sometimes you get so full of one life you want another? Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. I've done that. Yeah. And then we have this really cute little exchange because he's like, oh, you know, oh, dang. Can I borrow your car? Like, my car is still in the shop. And I, I'm supposed to be going shopping for skis. And Nick goes, uh, skis? And he's like, yeah, if I'm going to live in this winter wonderland, I might as well learn to emb embrace it. He's like, you know what, man? I'll fix your heater. And Nick's like, no, don't do that. Do you have any idea how much it would fix to cost the heater? How much it would cost to fix the heater in my very old, expensive <laughs> Cadillac? And Skanky's like, no, man, I'll do it. It's fine. And he's like, no, spend the money on skis. Don't worry about it. I, I remember my uncle telling me a story about the in the like old school Volkswagen bugs the way that you added heat to the car because the car did not have like heat vents yeah is you like made a whole there's a heat shield between the engine bay and like the compartment where you sit and you like make a hole and then you would use 
Campbell's soup cans and duct tape to make like vent tubes along the inside, like go above the door, like towards the back and then poke holes in it so that the hot air from the engine bay comes out into the rider compartment. Your mom said, your mom said your dad, your grandfather used to just put like a kerosene heater on the floor. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. And that's how they would heat the car. But it's kind of a cute, it's a, a mea culpa way of ending it without making it a big deal. It's like, listen, I got caught up. I got caught up in the broness, right? Yeah. I got swept up in who I used to be. And I'm sorry, man. I'll, I'll fix your heater. And he's like, no, don't do it. It's fine. I'm literally a millionaire. I could fix it at any moment. I just don't give a shit. <laughs> Don't, I'll do it. You know what? Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of it. It's fine. And it's a kind of a sweet way to end it. I think if we'd made it a big gesture where Skanky was like, oh, I'm sorry, and had this big thing where he apologized, I don't think it would have fit his character. Yeah. I think acts of service, just being like, hey, I got a couple acts of service up my sleeve. I'll throw those at your emotional bid, and that's going to be our love language. I think that works way better. Yeah. And overall... I don't think this is a terrible episode. I think this is a really good skanky episode because we never really addressed the difference in skanky from season one to season two. Yeah. And so I think alluding to the fact that it's not necessarily that they're separate characters. It's that one skanky's put work into himself and one skanky hasn't. Yeah. Delahunty showing up had, yeah. Like code switched Skanky back to yeah his like teens and twenties Skanky yeah that he's grown past, but he still had all of this history with this guy that just pulled him back into the person that he was at the time that he last hung out with him a lot right. And I think all of us can look back even six months to five years and be like, holy shit, I was a totally different person. And then sometimes when you meet friends from that time period, it's really easy to regress. And I I totally think that's believable. I think it's believable that Skanky wants his friends to be as good to him as he is to them. And Mm -hmm. so he completely approaches Delahanty's visit without any kind of guile or any expectation of subterfuge he's just like yeah my friend's here to visit me he wants what's best for me because i want what's best for him so i completely believe this exchange which just makes that moment of um betrayal that much more poignant and painful for skanky but i don't think that he goes back to nick and his relationship expecting nick to do the same thing i don't think he approaches every relationship now thinking okay how are you going to betray me because i don't think that fits the skanky character i think skanky is the enduring um think the best of people and i think that's why he works so well with nick Nick right. could not have been partnered with right. a I don't think partner. he perceives I don't think his negative experience with Delahunty has contaminated his relationship with Nick. Yeah, that's those what I'm are going two for. those are two compartmentalized relationships. Yes, I think it's Genki's mind very much so. Yeah. All right, we've got two episodes left of Forever Night season two. 
I know you're checking that, but we've learned a valuable lesson here, which is no gin shots directly before an episode. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Have we learned the lesson no gin shots or yes gin shots? I'm going to leave that up to the audience. So until next time, Give, friends. Let ah! us let us know no, on don't. Instagram no. or YouTube. <laughs> Could be like what the how shit, much better what the shit was that? this was, Maria, or I how much worse this, was, this was. You know what, Maria thinks we're funny, and I really <laughs> hope Maria thought we were funny. Thank this you, time Maria. Too. Thank you. I, everyone, like I get on like the YouTube like analytics thing, and yeah. I see all the comments. Oh, thank you, Maria, and I yeah. I heart the comments. Yeah, Matt's Rachel the official, responds sometimes. That's and, the official YouTube moderator. Yeah. Yeah. We do. I'll just, I'll shill for a second. We do have an Instagram. If you're not on there, that's where I am most active. So I post the most stuff. I put the most updates. That's on Instagram and it's at Strange and Beautiful Network at Strange and Beautiful Network. We have a website too. That one's called strangeandbeautiful.club. I'm eventually going to put the pictures from Toronto up there. I'm gonna do it. It won't be till after we come back from our next vacation. So it'll be in November, but I'm gonna do it. And we also have a recommendation form on there if you want to recommend anything for us to do. Because, of course, we have three podcasts. We have this one. We have Strange and Beautiful Book Club, where we do more movies and books and sort of a wide variety of things. And we also have Feast, Sheath, and Shatter, which is myself and two other women. And we have kind of a girl talk um, book chat about slightly more spicy books. So if you're interested in hearing me talk spicy equals raunchy, way more um, explicit sex than uh, feast sheath and shatter is for you. <laughs> we have a lot of if fun forever night is not horny enough for you, <laughs> then feast sheath and shatter Hop on over is right up your alley. We also have our merch shop, which is on Redbubble. If you go on our website, there's a link to the Redbubble website from our merch tab. And if there's anything like specific that you want that isn't there, we can probably make it happen. I can make it happen. I'm going to be ordering some more designs as soon as we come back from our hopefully the, last vacation of the year. There's an approval workflow on Redbubble. Redbubble? Redbubble. Yeah. So if, if there's a suggestion that Rachel's like, oh, yeah, we need to make that. It can, like, someone at Redbubble has to, like, manually approve it. Whatever. No, now that we're, now that we've got a shop, we're good. Oh, I just we're good. To, yeah, I just Woo! have to go on Fiverr and order these things. Okay. So, but I am not going to do that until we get back from, I, I can do one thing at a time. And right now, the one thing at a time is prepping for our next vacation. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And then when we come back from that, I can devote some more time and attention to this. But, just so you all know, we do have merch. If you want a hunk in the trunk thing, you know, whatever, that's all fine. Um, Catherine Disher is actually going to be at a convention and she's going to be at a convention in, I believe it's Rhode Island. I'll be putting up a link to that. And last I checked, she had some slots still open for like a meet and greet slash getting things signed. So if you want to meet Catherine Disher, head on over. Um, I really wish other members of the cast still went to cons. And if they did, sometimes John will, but he'll announce it like 24 hours before he's going to be there. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to be in Pensacola in four hours. Hopefully everybody's joining me. Like, God damn it, John. I'd have been there. John Kapalos. And John Give me Cap like a month ahead of time. Yeah. He's got a sale on his cameo right now, too. So please go support these people. They're all still wonderful people. 
luckily, somehow, the majority of these people are still alive. So we still have the opportunity to support them. And it would be great to go out and do that. And I guess I'm just going to leave it there for now. So until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.